Hello, and welcome to And Let's Be Heard for Friday, October 14th, 2022. I'm Mike Kachapoli. Hello, everybody. Hello, it's Friday. We've made it to another Friday show. End of the week. End of the week. And uh, it was quite a busy week. A lot going on. A lot going on. And I think that uh, what I want to start with is what I just experienced today. What I just experienced actually a few hours before coming on is I met Dr. Scott Atlas. I met Dr. Scott Atlas down in uh, Palo Alto. There's an institute called the Zephyr Institute, and they hold these kind of like a, I guess, uh, an institute that holds uh, conferences and meetings and get-togethers and so on and so forth. They're called the Zephyr Institute. And uh, they met in Palo Alto tonight, and the the, the guest speaker was, uh, was Dr. Scott Atlas. And um, many of you know Dr. Atlas. He's from Stanford, Stanford University. And he uh, was at the forefront of the, of the COVID pandemic response. Now, it wasn't that, I know many people are thinking, if you haven't followed this very closely, that it was Dr. Fauci who was at the forefront of the pandemic response. Well, that's true. President Trump, when everything broke out, when hell broke 20, he put Fauci front and center and Burks and Redfield and the CDC, so on and so forth. But as the process went on, um, he brought in, in July, August, July, the summer of 2020, he brought in Dr. Scott Atlas because Dr. Atlas was talking out about the lockdowns and, and the mask mandates and so on and so forth. And of course, that was also before the vaccine rollout and the vaccine mandates. And, and Scott Atlas was uh, basically on the, on the right side of history, on the right side of science and the right side of common sense and the right side of everything from day one. So what happened was, as Dr. Atlas tells it, um, he was told by his mother-in-law <laughs> that Kelly McEnany was quoting him, quoting things he had been saying on TV and such, and that uh, he could probably expect to be going to Washington, D.C. And, of course, he said, no, I'm not going to Washington, D.C. I mean, Palo Alto, he, you know, it's 2,500 miles across the country. He had no interest in going to Washington, D.C., but then he was actually contacted by the White House, and they said that President Trump wanted to meet with him. So he agreed to that. And one thing led to another. And he ended up being the advisor to President Trump, the COVID advisor in the summer of 2020. And if you've heard Dr. Atlas talk before about his his three months uh, as part of the COVID task force, he would talk about how he went into meetings with um, Burks and with Redfield and with Fauci and others, but mainly those three. And he would come in with his binders full, not binders full of women, that was uh, Romney, binders full of stats, binders full of evidence, especially regarding uh, young children and COVID and how COVID affects or does not affect children. And so uh, he talks about that one particular meeting. And he said that he went to the meeting with all of his statistics about COVID and the effects on children. And that he presented this and he did like a 10, 15 minute presentation of facts, facts, studies that were done, everything. 
in fact, he told he talks about how he had a hotel room. They gave him a hotel room in Washington D.C. He didn't have a, an apartment, that they gave him a hotel room and a printer, and he'd be there at two o'clock in the morning printing out all this information about how children are not really in any danger of COVID. And um, and he'd present this information to Burks and Redfield and Fauci, and they came in with zero information, zero. They didn't come in with anything printed out, nothing, zero. And all they would do is look at him and stare at him. It reminds me of, as, as, as Atlas tells the story, it reminds me of like the, the South Park episodes when they, when they cut to the children and they have the blank stare on their face. That's kind of the stare they had on their face. That's the idea. That's how I envision it. And he said that they pretty much said to him that he's an outlier. That's all they could say. That's all that fuck Fauci and Redfield and jerks could say is, oh, no, well, you're an outlier. That's it. They had no facts, no information, nothing to back themselves up. Nothing to back up. All they said is you're an outlier because, of course, they had their political science narrative that they had to push and real science and real evidence didn't matter. So, you know, he pretty much went through this for three months. And I've heard him tell that story before, too, how basically it was the three of them versus him and that he could not get anywhere. And so I believe it was August, I think November of 2020, he left and went back to back home to Palo Alto because he really could get nowhere. And at that point, it was election time. And I think Trump had, you know, lost. So he went back to Palo Alto and that was that. And since then, of course, he's been speaking out on the networks about his experience and and all that stuff. But there was one thing he said that I'd never heard him say before, which I found really, really disgusting. He say, he, he, he talks about going to his first press conference. And actually, he, he's such a, a smart man, Atlas. OK, he's such a fair man. He wants to make sure all the facts are right, that there was a speech Trump was going to give about mortality deaths. And it was just one word that was off, but it made a big difference where Trump was going to say no excess deaths. And the real truth was that there were, you know, very little or something to that effect, few excess deaths. But he wanted to make sure Trump got it right. So just before Trump goes out to this press conference, he gives him this edit and Trump makes the edit. And he says, why don't you come out there with me? And so he went out there for the press conference, as we see these White House you know, press briefings. And he said that if you've never been to one of those before, of course, 99.999% of us haven't, he said it was the most disgusting thing ever. Now, this is the press corps. Remember, these aren't just citizens that they let in. These aren't just spectators that they let in. These aren't just like hecklers. This is like the press people, journalists. He said before the cameras were on, before, you know, it was officially rolling, they'd be yelling things like, you child killer, you, you're, you're a conspiracy theorist. This is, the, this is the journalists. These are journalists. How fucking grotesque. And that's why Scott Atlas said at that point, he realized that these people were really the lowest of the low, that there's no real journalism here. But of course, we know that. But to hear that they actually would like screaming out to the people like, like they were heckling, heckling Trump and heckling Atlas journalists shows how disgusting they are. It truly shows how grotesque they are. And they cannot be trusted no matter what they say, no matter what they say, whether it's on COVID or, or what the fucking temperature is going to be tomorrow. They cannot be trusted. Very disgusting, incredibly disgusting. And so we talked more about it. It was about an hour and a half speech, a talk. It was a talk, it wasn't a speech. It was three doctors and him and there was you know, about 150 people in the audience. It was a nice little crowd at the Sheridan in Palo Alto. And then we... Um, then he took questions. He took questions from, you know, some uh, Stanford students. There were, you know, some Stanford students who talk about how they're they're afraid to talk about their talk their mind and they're they're conservatives and they're afraid to speak up. 
not just on the issue of COVID, but abortion, everything else. So they end up, you know, getting their own little clique together, uh, getting their own little groups together. And this Zephyr Institute has helped them really, um, you know, uh, find each other and, and go to these kinds of events. But what was really stunning, what was really stunning about the whole night is I'm listening to Fauci. Uh, I'm listening to Fauci. I'm listening to Atlas talk about all this. And I've heard some of it before, you know, the press, the press corps thing I had never heard before, but I had heard some of it before. And um, it was really stunning. It was really stunning to me that I felt like kind of catharsis, that you're in a room with other people who think like you. And this is in like, you know, bluest of blue areas. Yet there are people there that think like us, that are normal, that have common sense. And also at the same time, I was so it's cathartic, but at the same time, I was very angry listening as, as to what uh, to what he went through, to what Atlas went through that you're talking about something as important as this, and he brings all this information, all this work that a doctor or scientist is supposed to do, and you have three morons there, three fucking musketeers that have no response other than you're an outlier. He said at one point, when they were meeting about masks and the efficacy of masks, Redfield actually held up one chart of like one state, one chart of one state, saying, oh, look, look, the mask mandate uh, went back on and the cases dropped. He said, that's all they had. When, of course, we have buckets and buckets. If you read Ian Miller's book on masks, unmasked, it's not one state. He doesn't put a chart of one state, one day in one state or one week in one state. He puts charts. He has hundreds of charts, not just in this country, but other countries that show how useless masks were, how there was zero difference in places that had mask mandates and didn't have mask mandates and so on and so forth. But here, Ian Miller is not the head of the CDC. The head of the CDC had one chart to try to make their point that mass worked. This is how disgusting this whole thing was. Now, once again, I give Atlas all the credit. Fauci, we know, is a scumbag. But you also have to have some kind of responsibility put in Donald Trump's lap, right? I mean, Donald Trump put Fauci front and center. He brought in Atlas, let's see, April, May, June, five months too late. Five months too late, and then had the three against the one when he should have put Atlas front and center. And if he didn't know of Atlas in March of 2020, once he knew of Atlas, he should have simply fired Fauci, fired him, and put, fired Fauci, fired Burks, and put, Fau- and put Atlas front and center, got rid of the two of them altogether. They didn't belong in those rooms at all. They belonged in a fucking playpen together. They are not serious people. And as Atlas, the point Atlas made was that the reason why people like Fauci and Burks and Redfield and Walensky have 30, 40, 50 year careers in these positions is because he didn't put it this way. This is the way I put it, is that they know how to kiss ass. They know how to kiss political ass. That's what they do. And he said something else, which is very telling, which is knowing how to play the media game. He said Fauci knew. Listen to this now. Fauci knew the names of the people in the press by, on a first name basis. Like he doesn't, he didn't, he didn't say something like, I'm going to be interviewed by Dr. Sanjay Gupta. He'd say, I'm talking to Sanjay tomorrow. I'm talking to Anderson tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Rachel, I'm on Rachel tomorrow. So he'd know them by their first name, which shows the conflict of interest between the media and the National Institute of Health. There's no way a doctor who's supposed to be fair, who's supposed to be science minded, not, not political-minded, should know the media's name, 
to people in the media's names on a first name basis. And Atlas said he found that so, so telling as to why these people have been able to keep their positions and, of course, get on television all the time. Of course, Fauci's going to know them all by first name basis. He's on every who's on every fucking day for a year, a year and a half, every Sunday show. He's still on Sunday shows. So as the point Atlas made, I'm going to get to a couple of people, uh, domestic or next caller was there with me. Um, and I want to get his take on this, on, on everything he heard. But the fact of the matter is, as Atlas said, the whole system needs to be overhauled. The whole system, there are too many conflicts of interest. And it's not just money. He made that point. It's not just money. It's also power and influence. And the whole damn system needs to be overhauled or the same exact crap is going to happen again. And it was just a great thing. I, I was so glad to meet Dr. Atlas. If you go on my Twitter account, at Kachopoli Mike, uh, I have my photo. I got a photo with him. I spoke to him for a few minutes, and I got a photo. And he said one more thing before I get to domestic, which was very, well, two things. The first thing was I had asked him if Trump had come out and had said from day one, you got to wear masks, you know, you, vaccines are going to be mandated, lockdowns everywhere. The Democrats would have, of course, done the opposite. And he agreed to a point. He said he said it was political while Trump was there. He said, but the proof that it's not only political is that once Trump was out, it's continued. Now, of course, Trump derangement syndrome has continued, but also it goes deeper than politics. There's money, there's power, influence, there's not being able to admit your narrative was wrong after so long. There's a lot more that goes into it. And he also said, and this gave me a little bit of hope. I said to him, Doc, I said, this is exactly how I put it. I said, Doc, if the Republicans win next month, will they hold the hearings they say they're going to hold in January and beyond, putting Fauci front and center, investigating what happened? He said, what, he said this without, I'm telling you, he said this without hesitation. He said 100% they will hold, they will hold meetings, there will be investigations, 100%. That made me feel much better. Domestic, so what was your what was your take on, on what you saw? <laughs> well, thanks, Mike. You know, the the last part really gave me hope. I think we deserve to see some blood after two years, uh, the blood of the wrong people. My take is uh, it's very important. It's very healthy for people who have been stuck in the matrix to see that there are other people who feel the same way and who think the same way, even in the most deranged areas like Palo Alto, where people have been 100% masked, even outdoors for a year and a half. And I've been going, I've been going there quite often, and I've seen that. So it's important to see that there are people. And uh, yeah, uh, the, the only other point I would make is that every person counts. If, even if you only have a couple of doctors who are brave enough to stand up and say no, this makes a huge difference because if it wasn't for them, we would have gotten nothing. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I thanked him. I said, you know, thank goodness, you know, for people like him. But, you know, there was, there was also the, 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 the silencing of people like him. I mean, I believe he mentioned at one point that he had to have police around his house, right? Going around his house. Oh. For eight weeks, yeah, because seven. he was threatened. Yeah. Because he was threatened by yeah. the loving liberal left, the loving left who just love everybody, love everybody, are against war, are against violence, are against guns, and of course these are the people who were threatening him the most and forced him to have to have police cover around his house in Palo Alto for eight weeks. 
And it was other stuff, as we know. He talked about the silencing of all the doctors, this, the, the collusion between, well, we're finding out more now, right, about the, the collusion between big government and social media and knocking people off and canceling their accounts and all of this incredibly, as he put it, and I have put it and you have put it, Orwellian stuff over the last three years. Yeah, and you know, the other interesting thing, somebody asked him, like, well, how can we make sure that it doesn't happen again? And he said there has to be a, an apology or a uniform condemnation of what happened. But I think he also hinted that uh, don't hold your breath for these people to ever apologize and to ever admit that they made huge mistakes. Well, yeah, I mean, I, you know, there's, there's, if we go back in history and we look at things that are the most egregious things that have happened, people have rarely, if ever, apologized, right? Well, I think Germany and Austria have been super, 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 super apologetic. So will we ever see that type of uh, remorse? I, I don't know. Um, I guess they've been kind of apologetic. But I mean, if you look, if you if you uh, the, the thing I've talked about in the past is like the Nazi prison guards that have been, you know, arrested when they're like 75, 80 years old. Right. And they find them hiding somewhere. Mm -hmm. I, I've never really heard those guys say, oh, we're so sorry for what we did. Right. I, I never, hear, I never hear them right. say. Even all those years later, they never seem to. Unless I missed it, I never seem to see them get down on their knees and beg for mercy. All right. So if they, yeah, I'm not sure about them, but overall the society is very apologetic and remorseful, and they take it very seriously. Let's see if we live long <laughs> enough to see our doctors well, say, you know it. what? I understand now it was a mistake, but I was just following orders. Let's see if we see that ever. Well, Even that's that. it. Are, are we going to? live long enough for that. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm just so, I'm so, I'm so cynical when it comes, I'm glad what he said, you know, there are definitely going to be hearings if Republicans win. And I'm really going to be upset if 50, well, if 50 years from now, the children are learning about it and they hear nothing about this whole thing being a scam, being an exaggeration and being a complete, complete fiasco. If they really learn of it as yet another regular pandemic. And that's something else he said, if you remember. He said that, and I've talked about this on the show many times, about the adults pushing their anxieties and the neuroses on the children and ruining the children. And he said that was the worst yeah. thing about all this, how he ruined the children and how people use their children as cover when I'm, a, I'm the parent, I'm the father, I'm the cover for my children. I thought that was great what he said. It's totally true. And it really proves how they, how they, the COVIDians, were the truly selfish ones. They called us selfish, but they were the most selfish ones. And the most selfish thing they did was, yeah. was, was punishing the children for their fears. And what about the Stanford kids saying that they're still formally required to, to wear masks in class still, even though only 20% wear, and then Atlas also said they're still doing contact tracing. <laughs> yeah, 5% had it, and it they're doing contact tracing, so they're going to have to trace Thousands and thousands of people. It's it's idiotic. Well, the whole thing is idiotic. We we found out from a couple of young students there, some very young, smart, together kids, um, conservative by the way, who said that there's still technically a mask mandate in class. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable. You, you know, so yeah. we're still seeing yeah. them doing these mask and vaccine mandates, like in 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 San Francisco. If you if you want to work, if you want to go into the office. It's absolutely insane. And I think you and I have said this many times. The smartest, quote unquote, smartest people have been the dumbest people over the last three years. 
Yeah, I I think um, again, seeing kids like this, so smart and so brave, gives me hope. If if there are a few of them, then there is more. And being in person, being present, unmasked in person with other people who feel like you about these things is so important. It's an injection of energy and motivation. I think. Oh, for can all you of add us. more about the Zephyr Institute? Because I'm trying to you know get people to join. You can go. I think it's a Zephyr Institute. Make sure it's the right place. Oh, and the reason to go, I asked one of the students, well, does the Stanford, does Stanford live up to the hype? He said, you know, Stanford does nothing special, but Zephyr Institute alone is uh, basically worth coming to Stanford for. So it must be that special of a place. Uh, it sounds like it. And it sounds like, you know, they, they should be, they, people should get involved. People should get involved. Oh, one more thing we have to mention. Apparently, they weren't able to hold oh, this incredible. event at the, at the, on campus. So they held it right outside campus to make it as easy as possible for the few students that came to come. I mean, what kind of free country is this where you cannot hold this type of event on campus? Um, not just free country, but that once again, and of course, this is not true, but they like to think it's true of themselves. They're so open-minded, the left. Oh, yes, we're so <laughs> open-minded. We believe in free speech. But we've seen this in the past. Remember that Ianopoulos guy? Remember, remember didn't he yeah. go to Berkeley and they like, what, did it burn everything down? Yes, yes, And he's yes, gay. Yes, yes. Isn't he gay? Yeah. He's a gay. And, yeah, and Ben Shapiro, uh, <laughs> don't even try, right? God forbid if you bring him. Doing uh, double mastectomies on teenagers is perfectly fine. Talking about important issues and just having a reasonable debate, no, it's not fine. Absolutely. And I thought these kids that we, we spoke to two of them, right? We spoke to two kids. And I thought yes. they, they are just Very so nice. brave. They are so brave. And bright and, and yeah. charismatic. I mean, they yeah, actually, wonderful. they said they actually held a pro-choice rally on the campus of Stanford. You mean pro-life? Pro -life. I always get that mixed up. I get that mixed up. Yeah. Pro-life. Yeah. Pro <laughs> you can do many pro-choice. Well, they choose to have a life, so that's also pro-choice yeah, in a way. Yeah, you know, yeah. so uh, I think that's incredibly courageous, you know, just incredibly. It's more, more courageous yes. than people think. I don't know if, I, I don't know if, that, if know, I'd be able to do that if I was, you know, 19 years old. You know, I, I just realized that we get to talk to experts actually more often than to the kids that go to school. So it was really nice. I didn't even know how to approach them, but they were remarkably friendly and outgoing. And, you know, for someone at 22, 23 to care so much to come to the events where everybody's like 40 years older was very brave and very admirable. It's awesome that they're young kids like this. They're not all messed up and brainwashed. There are exceptions and there will always well, we have will to be. hope that becomes the more dominant feature. You know, we have to at least hope. Yeah. There are so many kids that, that are like them that just are afraid to speak out, but they'll do the right thing in the future, right? Absolutely. Uh, Mike, Domestic. thank you for letting me speak. Maybe somebody else Sorry. wants to speak. Thank you. thank you. Okay, thanks for calling. And it was really great. I have to thank him because he told me about the event. I wouldn't have known about this event if not for him. So uh, thanks to Domestic for uh, telling me about it. Um, yeah, and I, and I thought that, I thought that it was a, a really good crowd. And as, as I mentioned to domestic, I said, and of course, this is kind of uh, superficial of me, but I said, boy, the some of the people there look like liberals. They just had that California liberal grungy granola look, <laughs> but obviously they weren't. Obviously they were, they were, oh, they might've been, you know, they're maybe at least five or 10%. Maybe they are the, look, I was a liberal. I was a progressive. I voted for, there might've been people there who voted for Bernie Sanders, but they find they've realized what's been going on for the last three years. So we shouldn't assume it's, it's wrong to assume that everyone 
at events like this are conservatives. I'm sure the majority were. But I think there are more and more people like me who are coming on board and uh, want to at least learn more about this and see where they may have gone wrong. They have, may have been led astray. So it's also very possible. They very well could have been Democrats. They could have been registered Democrats, California California liberals. But, you know, it's like um, I think people are starting to come around. And Atlas said slowly but surely, slowly people are coming around, you know. And they're, they're seeing they've been hoodwinked and led astray and bamboozled, as Malcolm X said. And they're starting to wake up to it. And I think that's a good thing. And once again, everyone should be allowed into that. You know, everyone, even the most staunch. And there were a couple of people in the audience, and I pointed this out as domestic. There were a couple of people in the audience who were wearing masks. And I'm like, why are these people wearing masks? How could you be at this thing and wear a mask? And I don't know. Halfway through, one of them took it off. So I don't know. I mean, it's very possible that once again, there are people who, even if people who believe that masks work, or or there are people out there who believe that it should be a choice. It shouldn't be forced. And I have no problem with those people. Once again, I don't like people wearing masks. If I was mayor of Mikeville, Kachopoliville, I would outlaw masks for many reasons. I've gone through them. But I don't mind people so much who, even with the vaccine, I don't mind people so much who got the vaccine or for some reason think it's, it's a good thing, as long as you don't believe it should be forced on others. So if you want to wear masks your whole life, if you want to get a booster every two and a half weeks your whole life, that's your business. It's your life. It's one life. You live it. But don't force others to do it. That is the, that is the amoral criminal element to this, is forcing others to do as you do. The opposite of that, I guess, would be to say you can't get the vaccine. You can't get it. Right. Right. So uh, who's saying that? And believe me, it was never the people who wore masks that got punched in the face or yelled at. It was people who didn't wear masks who got yelled at and punched in the face. They were the ones who were discriminated against, just like the people who didn't get the vaccine. It was the unvaccinated who were discriminated against, not the vaccinated. So that was the criminal element to it. That was the amoral criminal element to it, was telling others, you must do as we say. You must do as we do. That's not freedom. Freedom is, hey, get as many vaccines as you fucking want. Or don't. Wear masks every day of your life till death. Or don't. That's freedom. And that's what this country was founded on. And that's what most, most, most Democrats and liberals these days seem to hate. They seem to hate freedom. Daniel, you were there, weren't you? I was indeed, and it was an important moment for me personally. Um, you used the word cathartic um, a while ago, and it really was for me. Um, as I waited in line after the talk, um, I had numerous, numerous questions going through my mind, trying to formulate each, deciding each wasn't good enough to ask somebody like Atlas or Cariardi. And um, I don't mean good enough in, um, um, in the scientific sense or the policy sense. I just mean it just didn't feel important enough to me. So fi finally, when I had the opportunities um, to talk to Dr. Atlas, um, I just want to speak to a little bit of, of what I saw on, on his face. Um, 
he's a, he's a kind man. He's an empathetic man and a generous man. And you could see that immediately as I, as I told him what I finally decided I was going to say. And that was that um, I introduced myself, um, gave him a real, really quick one-sentence bio on myself, and then said, but I don't expect you to remember any of that. What I would like you to remember is my father's name. And I told him my father's name and told him that um, he would be alive today still if it weren't for this damn lockdown that we had. And my, as I was telling him, that I still harbored a lot of guilt um, for not being able to, to save my dad from this monstrosity, um, this grotesque thing that happened to, to him and our society and so many like him. Um, he said, there's probably nothing you could do about it. He, he was just trying to comfort me. And um, that was that was a really important moment for me, um, being that close, having shaken the hand of a man who has shaken the hand of the president and being able to tell him my father's name. I, I hope he's probably heard so many names like that. Um, I, I hope that he, he remembers. Um, and I hope that if he gets the ear again of the government, um, if they start investigating um, what happened, um, it would be the m most beautiful thing in the world if, if my father's name got mentioned during during any conversation or hearing or, or that would take place in the Capitol. Um, yeah, it was it was a big moment for me when when I got to the front of the line. Everything just but facts and motivations just faded away, and I just wanted to tell him my little personal story. And he was so yeah, gracious. Was, that's, I think that was really, really great that you did that. Really great that you told him it was it was more of a you know you're both scientists, but it was more of a personal emotional moment. It wasn't really scientific you know based thing, and that's good. And he was talking a lot. I mean, let me tell you, you saw the line. I mean, the people. People just wanted it. it was not only it was the whole thing was like an hour and a half, but then they did this impromptu thing where you could just basically go up and talk to him after. <laughs> and everyone did. And there were lines of people and people would talk to him 10, 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, some people, they never leave. And, uh, and the, but he was just gracious and never for one minute. But did he did it look like he was trying to leave? I mean, he really just wanted to talk to people and people talk. To, but I think this is part <laughs> This is part of our experience. We want to talk to people so badly. We want to talk to people who get it, right? We want to talk to yes. people who get it. We don't want to stop talking to them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he, yeah, he spoke a lot to, to that um, idea that we, we, we owe it to each other to talk. Um, simply so that others know that we're out there. And I wish more physicians felt that way, um, but they were locked into university systems and HMO systems where their behavior and their speech has been grossly, grossly restricted. And like he said, in private, um, all his um, neighbors who were, were a lot of them MDs and of the MDs that he worked with in private, they would all tell him that he's spot on. 
um, but none of them were speaking up. Right. And that's, yeah, they were afraid to talk. So behind the scenes, they would say, yeah, 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 right. You're right. You're right. Absolutely. You're right. But they didn't have the courage to, to speak up. And, you know, you know, part of it is, I know you and I, and many of us have a lot of anger towards these people for not speaking up because if they spoke up, all this shit would have been squashed very early on. But, but, yes, but, 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 you can understand why people don't want to go through losing their jobs, losing their friends, losing their networking, having to, you know, have police at their house for two months. You can tell why, I mean, it's not that hard to understand why people didn't want to go through that. The problem is that they had to go through that. That's what we have to stop. That's the impending fascism that we have to stop. These people should not have been, something made them, something spooked them. And it wasn't fake. It wasn't a fake boogeyman because all this stuff happened to Atlas just for being right or just for talking common sense. Even look, I at least I know one guy in New York and he's got major Trump derangement syndrome, even admits it. But even he said, you know, I've seen he said to me, I've seen Scott Atlas talking. He's not he's not belligerent. He's a nice guy. He talks fairly and evenly and I have nothing against him. But most people can't have that. Most people are so emotional with this stuff that that they actually threatened him. Physically, violently threatened, obviously, violent threats. That's why he had the police eight weeks outside his house. They probably threatened him and his family. So people didn't want to go through that, but they shouldn't have to. That we that there's a that there's a way for people that people in this country have to feel that way in the year 2020, 2021, 2022. That's a problem. That's a problem. That needs to be squashed the same way the Nazis were squashed. Don't you agree? Yes, and um, this goes to one of the questions I was able to ask um, Dr. Cariardi in the informal um, session afterwards, and that was, um, do you think that this phenomenon that occurred and the state that we are presently in could have occurred in the absence of 21st century digital technology? And he said, if this would have happened five or six years earlier, it wouldn't have gotten out of hand like this. Well, someone was talking to Atlas about the 60s and the 70s. How, and how in this, how in, is, there, is there an argument? Are you in trouble? No, okay. Anyway, I, in the background, talk, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm out doing no, my no, usual yeah, walk. I didn't get enough miles in there. Um, but uh, uh, a woman was talking to me saying in the 60s and 70s, you had people you know, get people protesting against things like this, protesting against injustices, protesting against authoritarian governments. What happened to those people? Right. What what did happen to those people? Those same people. Are the, they're getting they, they see others getting threatened online and they think this could happen to me. And whether the, those threats were real or they were staged. And I think many of those threats were staged for YouTube and TikTok um, for this express purpose of controlling the population. Um whether I, I, th- I think that is what cowed a lot of people into um, being complicit and, and complacent and just keeping their mouth shut. They, 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 they saw people getting harassed and physically assaulted over something as simple as masks. Um, they saw 
it was, you know, became widely known that physicians, for example, like Cariarty, were getting fired from their jobs for speaking out. They made examples of people early on. And yeah, it's um, without that technology to spread this hysteria, to spread this fear, to spread this um, anxiety about losing your livelihood if you are to speak up and just say what is obvious, just say what you see right before your face, you would get, you'd lose, lose so much. And, and these, and, and Cariardi lost a lot. Um, and Atlas had to have protection for months. Um, it's, um, these, these are, these are brave people. And, um, thank goodness for them. Um, and, uh, our country owes them so much. And, I, and and so many like them. There are so many others out there like them. And yeah, um, um, Domestic had mentioned um, the apology thing. I, I don't care if I get an apology from these people. I don't want an apology from these people. I would prefer that we never get an apology from these people because I would like them to be tried for the crimes that they committed and stand before a judge unremorseful. When that sentence time comes, I'd rather see accountability than than apology. Uh, You know what apology means? Apology means we're sorry. Now let us let's move on. Let us continue on doing what we did and what we're going to do. Apologize. Okay. See you next year. No, sorry. No. Yeah. Check check that box. Not the way it works. No, no. There's got to be accountability. There needs to be punishment for this, right? We agree with that. There needs to be a there needs to be a punishment element here. So people, so people in the future see these people. People in the future need to see these people. The future doctors, future citizens, future politicians need to see these people were punished. Oh, they were punished for this. Oh, okay, we can't do that, right? (laughs) That's that's what needs to happen. That's what needs to happen. Their figurative heads need to be on spikes about the our community, so that they are. So that people can see what happens to people that are so fucking evil. Absolutely, there's no doubt. That. And we got, and we have to do it totally. It has to be done totally by the law, totally by the book. And but it, but we can't, we can't, just can't let up. We can't. It's just, just, it's just, our country. Our country, our democracy is at stake. People talk about January 6th and democracy being threatened. Oh, come the fuck on. Our democracy is being threatened by people that simply will not allow us to right. speak. That's the bedrock of our yeah. democracy. And, and these people weren't being allowed to speak. I, you and I weren't <laughs> being allowed to speak. None of us were being, uh, being allowed to speak if we dissented from what Big Pharma was telling our politicians mm-hmm. to do. And what, what the NIH was, was telling our politicians to do and what the CDC was telling politicians right. to do. This is that's the threat to democracy. The threat to democracy isn't some little ragtime group of of uh, of uh, discontents or, or just yahoos, which is what they mostly were. The threat to our democracy is the threat to our Constitution. And that's that threat is is the threat to our freedom of speech. And we're seeing it everywhere. We're seeing it in California where the law was just passed and signed into, 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 can you freaking believe it, that a governor signed into law that 
a physician cannot discuss with their patient the, the risk and benefits of a COVID vaccine. I know. I know. And that's, of course, there are lawsuits over that. That, that, that. The California law where your doctor can't, the doctor has to say what the government tells him to say is not going to hold up. We know that. Of course it won't. But the fact that people are doing this and we're talking about threats to democracy, if there, is there any bigger threat possible than the threat to squash and quash freedom of speech in this country by a, an executive like a governor or a president? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. You know, and I think that once again, and I said this before about about Newsom and Democrats, they're just doing these things for power grabs to satisfy their crazy base uh, and to get away with it as long as they can. They know it will be shot down in court. And then after a shot down in court, they can blame Trump judges and they can say, oh, we tried our best. This is the game that slime balls like Gavin Newsom play. Who are they going to make this plea to is what, what, what blows my mind. What are they going to turn around and say, is there some public outcry out there to silence their people's personal physicians so that they don't get the best possible recommendations or a second opinion or a third opinion? Is, is there some public outcry for this? Uh, I, <laughs> yeah, no, you're, you, 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 you're out there, too. You see what's going on. I mean. I, I, there's little, there's little. I, but no, I see it's going on. I see the craziness. We see the hysteria. We've been seeing it for almost three years. But is anyone actually, does anyone actually want their physician to be limited in giving them advice about their health care? Does any, is, is there actually a public outcry? I can't believe that there is. I can't believe that people are that tedious and um, to the point where, the point where they want to harm themselves like this. This is just I know. crazy. I know. I, I get it. You know, but that's but they are TDS. There's, the Trump derangement syndrome is something that's so, like I said, it's so pervasive. It's such a it's such a deep mental illness that nothing else, nothing can permeate it. There's nothing else matters. It's everything is based on that, and ev- all their emotions come from that. There's no intellect. There's no thought. There's no common sense. It's all emotion based. It's all emotion-based. It's like we talked about with masks. All emotion-based. It makes people feel safer. Feel safer. There's no, there's no intellect behind it. There's no fact. There's no evidence. There's no medicine. There's no science. There's no nothing. It's just all feelings. It made them feel better, which is fine. You can feel better. Don't tell me I got to do it. But they're not going to feel better unless they make you do it, because making you do something is what caused or is what produced this this feeling of power within these people that felt so powerless at that time. Yeah. Daniel, thanks for the call. And it was uh, good sharing that event with you. It was that was great, wasn't it? I mean, it really was. It 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 was fantastic. fantastic. Daniel, thanks. And I'll get to you in a second, Bill. Um, I just want to uh, mention quickly. Um, the book is A Plague Upon Our House, My Fight at the Trump White House to Stop COVID from Destroying America. Uh, it's hardcore. It's Dr. Scott Atlas, MD. Uh, you can find it uh, on Amazon, Kindle, 15 bucks. Look at this hardcover, a buck less, 14 bucks. Used five, look, go and buy it. A Plague Upon Our House, My Fight at the Trump White House to Stop COVID from Destroying America by Scott Atlas on Amazon. I'm going to buy it. Two, a plague upon our house. Uh, 
Um, and I'm especially going to buy it after that, you know, little talk tonight because he's going to have a lot more stuff in there that we can talk about, a lot more information about his experience. And I think Scott Atlas, by the way, wrote this not to make money. He wrote this to get this shit off his chest, to let people know exactly what was happening there. Um, okay, uh, William, what's up? How are you tonight? Hey, Mike, can you hear yep. me okay? Yep. You know, I missed the introduction to your show. I, do you mind just briefly covering your experience? Did you cover that uh, your, with Scott today? Yeah, just briefly said Atlas. At, at, at a, yeah, at a little talk today in Palo Alto. There were about 150 people in the room in the conference center in the Sheridan Hotel. And it was great. I mean, it was really good to get his, you know, firsthand uh, experiences about what happened when he was brought into, you know, Trump White House and, and all the, you know, the problems he had getting through to Fauci and Burks and Redfield and how he had all the information at hand and they didn't care about any real information. They only cared about the narrative. They didn't care about actual facts and evidence. And we know all that. I think more of that is in his book. But but it was just a great experience. And to meet him um was just fantastic you know so basically yeah yeah well um well that's i'm glad you got to see him uh i'll have to look him up then and i i remember him but i don't recall i know he was fighting against the clan there but i i don't remember how that went for him i think didn't he get kind of pushed off the stage at one point and not physically? Yeah, but, he absolutely was. I yeah. mean, you know, he was brought in to be Trump's advisor, but but Burks yeah. and Redfield and Fauci were already implanted there for five months, six months. And they were the ones that the media knew, you know, so Trump kept, kept them around. But it was like three versus one, you know, so it was it was like science yeah. versus the three musketeers. But the three musketeers had yeah. a lot of control and were ingrained there. And they were the ones that were on TV all the time. And they were the, you know, they, they, they uh, especially uh, Fauci, of course, is such a political slime ball, motivator slime ball, that he uh, positioned himself against Trump. And that's how he got even more, um, even more media attention by the left wing media like CNN and MSNBC, you know. So it was, it was tough for, for Atlas. After, after a few months of this, after basically knocking his head against the wall, um, he, he left. Yeah. And of course, Trump also lost the election. So, yeah. Well, I want to let you know. I put. I don't know if you heard about this. I put the links in the chat. Um, this is. Uh, I reviewed a video today. Doctor Andrew Huff with Eco Alliance. Did you? The former VP. He, he's whistleblowing. He Bill, was on trial. Bill, I seem to be. News. We have seem to have a bad connection right now. Oh, I'm having trouble okay. hearing yeah, you. Maybe it's. Um, you're, Is that you're cutting out? Yeah, I don't know if it's your your connection uh, or mine. Um, but I'm having better? trouble hearing you, so I'm just going to remove you from now. Maybe you can get a better right. connection there. But I do see you put a couple of. Uh, let me see what you put. You put a lot. Oh my lord! Yeah. So people can go through the 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 message section here, and uh, and Bill put a bunch of stuff about Dr. Andrew Huff, former Eco Health Alliance VP turned whistleblower spoke ex exclusively to trial site news about his tenure at the controversial organization, which has been at the center of the COVID origin lab leak theory. So you can go to that. You can go to some of the links that Bill put in here and uh, a lot of stuff on YouTube about that. Um, but what I really wanted to talk about also is, um, is the uh, January 6th stuff. I, really, I wanted to get that in before the end of the show, before the end of the week. Um, 
I'm sure by now many of you have seen the the video of of uh, Nancy Pelosi saying that she wanted to punch out Trump. Right. So the whole thing behind this is that was on January 6th. And people are like, well, wait a minute. Why were there cameras already there ready to roll before this had ever happened? Right. So there's the question right there, by the way, that that the person doing filming, that was Christine, her, her daughter, who's a documentary filmmaker. So she had Christine come. She had Christine come to the Capitol on January 6th before any of this broke out, before the insurrection, quote unquote, insurrection, before the break in. Let's put it before the break in. So we're wondering, was Nancy expecting this? Did they know this was going to happen? I mean, this is one of the criticisms of Pelosi and that they knew this was going to happen and they didn't fortify the Capitol. Right. They did nothing. They didn't, they didn't alert the Capitol Police this was going to happen, that they wanted this to happen. They wanted this show to, to go on. They wanted this to happen. And, of course, this is just more evidence that's proved that to be true. Why was there camera crews? Why was there a documentary filmmaker there? Another thing that struck me, other than that whole setup, was the fact that Pelosi did not seem at all frightened. Remember, we thought they were scared for their lives. They couldn't believe that they were going to die. They'd be like... She doesn't see she's angry. She's always an angry old broad, but she was certainly angry. But I didn't see any fear there. In fact, I saw more aggression than fear. She wasn't like, oh, I'm afraid for my life. What's going to happen? Is everyone okay?" She said, I hope Trump comes so I could punch him out. Now, not only did she say I'm going to punch him out, but she said, I've been waiting for this. I've been waiting for this. She was welcoming this. So despite that, now, once again, the what if game, what if, not only if what if Donald Trump said, I'm going to punch someone out, but what if, oh, Marjorie Taylor Greene said she was going to punch Biden out? What would happen? This CNN tape, maybe, maybe other people have seen this already. I'm only seeing this now for the first time nearly two fucking years later. If Donald Trump had said on January 6th that he was going to punch someone out, if Marjorie Taylor Greene said today she was going to punch Biden out, would it be two years from now that we saw the video? Where was the video, CNN? Where was the video of CNN's thing? Christine Pelosi was doing it for them. MSNBC, where was the video? Why, why did it take two years to see this video? Why? Well, we all know the answer as to why. It's the same thing as Dr. Atlas was saying, the media screaming. The media, the journalists screaming at the press conference that you're 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 a killer, you're killing people. They're scumbags. They are absolutely like I said, when when Trump first said that the media was the enemy of the people, I thought that was terrible. I thought it was way over the top. Because the media I knew when I was a child, when I was growing up, when I was getting into the media myself, when I was working radio, I didn't think I was the enemy of the people. The people I worked with were great journalists. They weren't the enemy of the people. But now they are. Things change. The only thing that's constant is change, they say, right? Well, that's what happens, and that's where we are now. So right now, the current state of the media, I'd agree with Donald Trump. I wouldn't agree if he said it about the media 40 years ago. But I do agree now. So... <laughs> It's really amazing to me. You see, you see how biased the media is. They have the Speaker of the House saying she wants to punch out the president. And crickets, the video's out two years later. Of course, she's full of shit. 
of course, maybe she should have punched out her, her, her uh, husband before he went drunk driving. And her dialogue, who, who was that written by? Aaron Sorkin? We know the whole documentary was set up. I'm guessing there was a script also. It's certainly great red meat for, for the left, right? Incredible. Uh, absolutely incredible. And of course, what do you have now? Uh, look, I don't watch CNN and MSNBC anymore. I'm not a, uh, okay, I'm, I'm not a masochist. But now I'm sure, I'm quite sure that the response to that video by most on the left is, you go, girl, you go, girl. Guaranteed, these fucking hypocritical bastards. Oh, we're against war. We're against violence. We only threaten doctors like Scott Atlas. We only make doctors like Scott Atlas have police going around their houses for eight fucking weeks. We are against violence, yet we go up right up there against the Supreme Court Justice Holmes, saying we're going we're gonna to lynch them. Oh, these are such loving people. Loving, loving people. We love abortion. We're all for killing children. We're, we're loving, loving liberals. Live and let live. Freedom. Can you tell I despise them? Can you tell I hate them? So this was a feeling tonight I was also having at the Atlas talk. It was, you know, catharsis. And we're all in. Yes, it's great to be with like-minded people you know, away from the insane asylum for a while, as, as, as Atlas said, very, he lives in California, even though he's from Chicago, very obviously from Chicago. He said, this is a crazy state. There's no other state like this in this country. There are other liberal states like New York and Illinois, but there's no bat crap crazy state as bat crap crazy as California is. This is an insane asylum of lunatics and the lunatics are now running things. They're running the asylum. They're not just, they're not just residents anymore. They're running it. But that video of, of Pelosi was just, you know, you know, first of all, she's all talk. She's always been all talk, no action. She's done nothing for San Francisco. San Francisco has gone from one of the most respected, revered cities to a total dump shithole with half the people leaving under her guard. That's what's happened under the years of Nancy Pelosi. A, a re respected city that the rest of the country not only respected, but the rest of the country was was jealous of. Tourists would love coming here to an absolute shithole of homelessness, people pissing and shitting on the streets, crime through the roof, people looting and raping and pillaging everywhere with no fucking justice. This is what San Francisco's become under this witch of a woman, the shriveled up, old, rich, elitist hag. Yeah, I better be nice. <clears throat> I like to do yeah, anyway. Okay, that's Nancy Pelosi. That's Nancy. So uh, nature will take its course on her soon, so we don't have to worry too much longer about her. Then again, I am a pessimist. All right, so this whole January 6th thing, and obviously we know that January 6th is a big smokescreen. We know smokescreen, smokescreen, smokescreen. Can't talk about crime. Can't talk about the economy. Can't talk about the lockdowns we love. Can't talk about the vaccine mandates we love. Can't talk about all the children and, and young people we've killed with our vaccine, love of vaccines and mandates. Can't talk about any of that stuff. Can't talk about crime. Can't talk about inflation. Can't talk about gas prices. Can't talk about consumer price index. Can't talk about all that stuff. But we can certainly talk about one day two fucking years ago. Three and a half weeks, people, three and a half weeks. And once again, I want to make this clear one more time tonight. Scott Atlas said to me, I said to him, for those of you who are just listening for the first time, 
for the first time, will Republicans, will Republicans, this is why I said, Doc, will Republicans do as they say and hold hearings if they win next month? And he said, absolutely, no doubt, 100% they will. So I guess that's good enough reason right there, right? That's good enough reason right there to vote Republican. None of this nonsense that both parties are the same. None of this nonsense, oh, it doesn't do any good. I believe Atlas, and I believe the look in his eye when he said it's, it's, it's 100% certainty. And doctors never say that. He said 100% certainty. There will be hearings if Republicans win. You know, so that that right there, I think, is the most important um, is the most important element to all this. You know, um, and I just want to to uh, to remind people that when it comes to voting, I don't believe in single issue things. I really don't. I'm not. I've never been a single issue voter at all, ever. There are always the predominating issues of the time, right? People say the top three, top five, top ten. That's fine. And it's often the same ones. It, it really is often the same ones, right? There are times when the economy's worse, crime is better, blah, blah, blah. But it's always usually the top things, right? The top issues. But I think in this case, this single issue of there will be hearings held if Republicans win. We'll get to the bottom of things. Better shot anyway of getting to the bottom of things. Better shot. Better shot that people will be held accountable. Like Fauci and company if Republicans win. It will never happen if Democrats win. Never happen. All we'll get if Democrats win on January 6th. If we get Republicans win, we'll get hearings on COVID, the origin of COVID, the response to COVID, so on and so forth. That is enough of an issue this year to vote for Republicans, for me, and it really should be for you too. It really should be for you too. Even if you've never voted for Republicans before, like I rarely, if ever, have voted for Republicans before. Even if you don't even vote for them again after this year. This time you should. Just for this accountability. Just for this accountability. By the way, you're listening to and Let's Be Heard. Uh, I'm Micah Chopley. I do this show, if you're listening for the first time, Monday through Friday night, 11 p.m. Pacific Time, 2 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday night through Friday night, five days a week. And um, I take your calls. Whatever's on your mind, you can call in. You don't have to talk about what I'm talking about. But my name is Micah Chopoli, and the name of the show is, um, and let's be heard. Um, what else? Am I well, I think, I think I'm going to wrap this up tonight on, unless if there's something else you want to talk about. If you want to call in and talk about whatever I've spoken about or something else, that's fine. Anything else that's happened this week, that's fine. If you want to talk about sports, right? Sports ball. Daniel likes to say sports ball. If you want to talk about sports ball, you know, you can call in. But um, if not, then we can always, you know, we can always call it a call the show, call it a week. Friday night, people are out partying. I was out in Palo Alto, by the way. I'd never really been there. Um, and it was a Friday night. It was happening. It was a happening. After the, after the, uh, after the Atlas talk, we went to a nice... Uh, Thai restaurant, which was which was fantastic, which was absolutely fantastic. But um, you know, uh, I, I think that the most important thing to remember is that 
when you are looking at what's happened over the last three years and where we go on from here, the most important thing is that the history books have to show that people were wrong, the politicians were wrong, the quote-unquote experts, the ones that were allowed to speak were wrong, that the censorship was wrong, that it's all very dangerous. And in order for it not to happen again, there just needs to be accountability. The show is, and let's be heard. And William, I think you're back on. Are you there? How's this, Mike? Can you hear me better? Much clearer now. Okay. Um, Yeah, in the chat, uh, speaking of the source of COVID, the whistleblower... Uh, from Eco Alliance, the former VP, covers it in this video. He's literally saying he has the documents and the proof of of the source of COVID, which was gain of function, and uh, he covers exactly how it went down. So uh, I put the video link in the chat, um, and I don't know, maybe uh, if you have a chance to watch it, we can talk again, you know, rather than me, you know, just trying to cover it. It's a lot of meat there. I mean, it moves fast. He covers a lot of ground. It's about a 45-minute video, you know, so I just want to let you know that. And then also Dr. Mo Bean, I put the link in the chat where he's covering um, myocarditis in uh, young men and young boys and what they're seeing even 90 days later um, in the imagery. It's, it's, they're still they're seeing heart damage. Right. You know what I mean? From so um, anyway, so Dr. Mobin is a uh, he he has a good channel. I like his channel where he covers the science, you know, on things, kind of like Dr. John Campbell does. I don't know if, I'm sure you're familiar with him, but um, so anyway, I just want to cite those things and and uh, look forward to talking to you more about it. Appreciate what you did tonight, and uh, we we. We definitely need justice. These people have to be brought to justice. There's crimes against humanity. You know what I mean? Well, they absolutely. You know, and, and like I said, there needs to be some kind of, of, of justice simply so it doesn't happen again, right? So people in the future look back yeah. at this and say, well, what, what happened to these people? Oh, nothing. They went along to have great long careers and they got their golden parachutes and Fauci went into the Hall of Fame for science. And that's not, mm. that's not accountability. All that's telling is the next person should do the same thing. They'll get rich too, like Fauci did, right? They'll get they'll get uh, popular too, like Fauci did, you know. So that that can't happen. That that's why pe- that's why we have punishments of crime, don't we? Right to to deter that crime from yeah. happening again, from people from people from doing crime for doing crimes. I mean, no, I know we don't do that now in blue cities. There's no such thing as punishment, right? It's crime crime pays mm-hmm. in our in our blue cities right now. But in general, that's the whole idea, right? Of punishing a criminal, punishing crimes, whether they're you know, crimes against the people, crimes against humanity, whatever it may be. So it doesn't happen again. As a, as a, yeah, yeah as, a, as, a, as a deterrent, as a, as a deterrent, let's say, you know, of it, of it happening again, you know. So uh, I don't know, you know, to, to me, um, unless there's any kind of accountability, I think it's a loss for us. We have, we have to make sure there's accountability. Otherwise, I think we lose. I really do. Otherwise, they just they just get Absolutely. away with what they did for three years. 
All the people oh, lost so, so and, much. And that's I mean, what they, that's another they, thing Atlas mentioned. He said, look, lockdowns didn't just hurt people. They killed people. We know that. We have the evidence. Lockdowns killed. That's what he said. And that's exactly what happened. And that's why those people need to be punished well, who push those things that killed people. Yeah, plus the the bioweapon that killed people, the two of them, between the gain-of-function virus, which uh, is is very uh, clearly documented by the uh, by this VP, and then the 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 vaccine. I mean, people died, people are injured, people lost loved ones. I mean, they, we need to see these criminals uh, punished, you know, and uh, put in prison for sure. Yeah. Bill, sure. thanks for calling. I appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. Thanks. Okay. And remember, you can go into the uh, the comments here and uh, section, and Bill put a bunch of uh, links that you can click on. Hey, you're on, and let's be heard. Is it Loki? 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 Yeah, Loki, Loki's how you doing? Fine. Uh, doing all right. Pretty good. How are you? Pretty good. Yeah, I, I just I just feel this. Uh, the, the whole situation with criminality is kind of being um, it's being a little oversimplified because, it, you know, it, in a way it should be simplified, but it hasn't because it's a it's a two as it exists right now. It's a two tier kind of, you know, maybe even more tier judicial system where you can basically buy your way out of, you know, whatever crime you commit, you know. And so there is still crime and punishment, but it's mostly for poor people and um, poor people. It's getting more and more, you know, rigid and harsher and stricter. And on people with money, it's basically it's kind of opening up. And, you know, people want to talk about if we live in a capitalist or a socialist society and it's it's socialist for rich people. But it's, you know, dog-eat-dog capitalists for poor people, you know. As a, you know, people are trying to look at this like it's supposed to be one system, you know. And maybe it should, but it's not. You know what I mean? Like, there's a difference between what's on the paper and what people are actually doing and how it's applied or not applied, for that matter. Yeah. No, I, 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 I understand that. I, I understand that take. You know, it, it's just, I, I think that, I don't know, I, I think that... The, the whole point being is that, uh, you know, I'm hearing a lot of stories that, you know, Daniel told his story to the doctor tonight about his father and that was the lockdown killed his father, who was fine before the lockdowns. And I think that when you're looking at all these personal stories, that's something I had this idea of like doing a documentary going around the country and like uh, documenting people's personal stories from COVID stories like Daniel's where you know, the father died of a lockdown, you know, people couldn't go to funerals, people couldn't see their relatives in the last days, all stuff like that, all these personal stories of how the COVID policies hurt people and killed people. Because I think that element, the most of the public doesn't understand that. You see, most of the public doesn't get that. They don't, they don't feel that. They don't know how many people were harmed because obviously the media is not going to cover it. The media is not going to cover stories like Daniel's. So I think at some point that all has to be documented. And I think when that's documented, You'll have much more public outcry for for accountability, don't you think? Yeah, you know, you have to. People have to be educated on what's happened in the first place, and and even from the beginning, they haven't been taking accurate, you know, statistics. They take 
they've been taking whatever statistics um, basically basically are favorable for what outcome they they want, you know, like whatever makes their company look good, what makes their policy look good. So there's something uh, I, I put it. I put this video up in in a lot of comment sections in this app, but um, there's a video called the um, the science illusion by Rupert Sheldrake, and you know, and it's not it's not you know to go against science as a whole, but like you can't have pure science in a corrupt system. You can't have pure science in a capitalist system where money, you know, rules over people and is considered, you know, to be, you know, more important than than life and, you know, having a functional democracy and a functional planet that can actually feed and sustain people. So with, you know, in with all this context, it's hard to it's hard to trust the science and scientists that are bought and paid for, basically. And you you know just like artists and scientists back in in the in the days of middle evil Europe, they're kind of beholden to their lord, so they can't you know they can't talk shit about their lord unless they have you know the best the best lord in the right. town. But they won't say it, you know. That what keeps happening is kind of the systems are are kind of staying the same. They're still feudal. They're still medieval, but they just kind of get a new window dressing. They get a new coat of paint, but it's kind of like this similar system, and that's why we have kind of a this oligarchy has sprung up again because it's been hiding in the background anyway. And what's happening now is kind of things are coming to the surface and. Because I think for the majority of white people in the U.S., it was kind of, especially after the '50s, after the wealth of you know World War II and being the only country that didn't get fucking totally destroyed during during that time. Like America was living high on the hog, and um, especially especially white America. And now that this unsustainable system is you know kind of nosediving, you know people the general public is seeing what you know the reality that yeah that a lot of the black and brown people lived in america for for a long time including you know domestic terrorism by police and and your government not doing shit about it being lied to constantly having smoke being blown up your ass all the time right. nobody promises this is this is a reality that a lot of the world has actually had to live and deal with, but now it's, you know, it's the, it's the chickens coming home to roost, you know, it's not something right. that's new. Also, Got I want to say. Loki, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks very much. Um, yeah. So I guess I just want to wrap up with saying that it was, it was a really interesting night tonight. It really was. Um, and like I said, I've, I've seen Atlas on television millions of times, but seeing it in person and seeing other people, there who who were like-minded and uh and then speaking to him after and all that and uh, like i said if you go on my twitter at kachopoli mike you will see a uh, uh also mike unleashes the handle at kachopoli mike and uh, you'll see my photo with him and that's what i took at the end and it was so gracious i mean not only did he do that hour and a half and there was no charge for this by the way uh, but the zephyr institute if you go online they they uh they do ask for uh, you know a twenty dollar 
uh, donation, suggested donation, which everyone should give and everyone should get involved in this effort too because they do stuff like this. And uh, and then he just stood stood there and a- answered people's questions and took photos and just you know for a long time after the uh, after the event was done. And he was very gracious, very real, very down to earth. You know, very very Chicago. Um, and uh, and just uh, you know, it's a shame. It's a shame. And I thanked him. I said, "Thank you, thank you for." for doing what you've done over the last three years, that you were a voice of sanity and you made many of us feel like, you know, we weren't going totally insane and crazy because there was someone out there speaking the truth. And I think it was a shame what happened to him. You know, it was a shame what happened to him. Um, And we just can't let this stuff ever happen again. We really can't. We can't let any of it ever happen again. Accountability, people, like I said, accountability. Okay, well, that's been and let's be heard. I'm going to call it a day. I'm going to call it a week. I want to thank everyone for listening and my callers. Who were they? Bill. Who else called? Daniel. Loki. Uh, also uh, domestic. And thanks for listening. Uh, the show is in Let's Be Heard. I'm Micah Chopley. Remember, always remember, vote Democrats out of office more than ever. Vote them out now. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. See you right back here. 11 p.m. Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern, fr- uh, Monday, Friday, Monday night. Have a great one.